Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast where we explore compelling ideas and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. And I'm Brittany. And this week, we are continuing our read-through of The Hunger Games, reading chapters 19, 20, and 21. Brittany, can you start us off with a recap? So Katniss sets out to find Peeta, and finally does find him camouflaged by the stream. She cleans him up and gives him some meds and is grossed out by his festering wound and refuses to see him naked. Peeta is really ill and has blood poisoning and wants to tell Katniss something in case he dies, but she doesn't want to hear him talk about dying, so she kisses him to shut him up. <laughs> and Peeta asks for a story and Katniss tells him of the time that they got Prim a goat for her 10th birthday. And then they hear the trumpets sound and it's Claudius Templesmith again, inviting them to a feast where there will be things that they desperately need. So obviously Katniss and Peeta are arguing about her going and him not wanting her to go and risk her life to get him something. But Hamish sneakily sends Katniss a vial of sleep syrup, which Katniss uses to trick him into taking. She then goes to the feast at dawn and is the second to the table with all of the things that they desperately need, but one of Clove's knives catches her and Clove ends up pinning her to the ground, taunting her about killing Rue and about how she's going to kill her slowly now with knives. Then Thresh is angry about Clove mentioning Rue and ends up killing Clove and also lets Katniss live because she tells him how they were allies. They run away from the feast as Cato cradles Clove, and then Katniss gives Peta the blood poisoning treatment before passing out from blood loss. So pretty boring chapters overall. <laughs> Nothing really happened. Mm -hmm. They could all just lift right out. <laughs> so let's get into it. So first we're going to do our striking moments section, which is something that really hit us from the reading this week or something we're realizing for the first time. So, so what do you have? Yeah, I think this week I found a few moments that kind of hit me in the feels just in regards <laughs> to... Uh, I didn't know that you were thinking that. <laughs> to Katniss and Peeta's relationship and how they feel about one another. The first one that struck me was when... Katniss realizes that Peeta had been protecting her all along mm -hmm. and feeling that that was the case, she said that it makes her smile. But then she looks up into the moonlight so that the cameras can see her smiling mm -hmm. at it as well, which I just thought was so perfect as her, you know, being influenced by her emotions, having this kind of sweet moment, but then also being strategic enough to be like, I want to use this sweet moment. Mm -hmm. Definitely. <laughs> she also when she's searching for him, thinks that he's hard to predict, which would be interesting under different circumstances. <laughs> but here it was frustrating for her. And just that line, which would be interesting under different circumstances to me, definitely felt like a subtle wink at how, yeah, she, she is interested in him as a person in many ways. Maybe she could have been in different circumstances. In different circumstances, yeah, yeah. You know, she, she begins to take care of him and, and brings the romance in as part of that, kissing him as rewards, kissing him to try to get gifts from the sponsors. But 
she mentions that the first time that any of that kind of romance actually felt natural was when she was going to sleep and Peta was stroking her hair. Mm-hmm. I think this is the first time I, I kind of noticed that as a change for her and, and realized that I think that that was because this is the first time that she was not performing and that she didn't have to take care of Peta. Mm-hmm. It was Peta caring for her. He had built up, up enough strength. She was able to actually get some rest and he was doing something very small, but something that would be soothing for her. Yeah, it just, you know, for her as she is not only struggling with what her feelings are, but knowing that she has to play up this romance angle for the audience, it was really interesting being in her head and seeing her react to these different things and seeing her not really care much about the first kiss because she's so worried about Peta and the the fever that he has. <laughs> All she can notice is the temperature. Exactly. But finally, she has a moment where she can feel a sense of closeness and of care because she's being cared for. Yeah, I mean, it's the first time in so long where someone didn't need something from her. Mm-hmm. I mean, he needed something from her a little bit before, mm-hmm. but in, in that moment. She didn't have to give anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I just, I thought that those those scenes were nice. Always, always <laughs> nice to read. Um, yeah, when I was reading these chapters, I'm like, Chris is just going to want to talk about the mushy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I do love the mushy stuff. <laughs> yes. So what moment struck you? Well, I was thinking about it a bit when Katniss asked Peto, what did Hamish send you? Mm. And he's like, I haven't gotten anything. That was just making me think kind of for the first time, since Hamish is the sole mentor, he could unilaterally decide how those sponsor funds would be used. Whereas if there were two mentors, I imagine either it'd be split down the middle or they would have to decide together. So that was just kind of making me think about like how things could have maybe turned out differently if if they were two mentors Mm. for them. And also thinking about Peta says, I knew that you were his favorite, but you know, I kind of wonder if Hamish would have sent Peta something if he hadn't gotten stabbed, Mm -hmm. you know, if he had run away from the careers and he doesn't have the hunting skills and things like that, that Katniss does, would he have spent, you know, some resources on him or would he have regardless put everything towards Katniss, you know? Well, I also wonder if if before the rule change, if he could have done that, if he had one stash for both of them, or if they had separate, like, accounts where, say, Katniss is getting a lot of sponsors, those are funds are meant for Katniss and can't be used by Hamish for PETA, mm. you know? And if PETA stops getting sponsors once he gets stabbed or while he's with the totally. careers, and it's not until they're back together that not only can he then start using each other's funds for both of them, but they're both going to be getting more sponsors because the romance angle is so popular. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was also just impressed with PETA anew. I mean, I've always loved PETA, but just reading again, thinking about him being badly wounded, this wound went to the bone. Mm-hmm. And also stung with Tracker Jacker Venom that was messing with his mind. And he was still able to follow Hamish's 
run and find a water source mm. advice in that moment and not really leave any tracks. It, it took her a while to actually find him. Plus, he's almost dead. He hasn't eaten in days. And he still is savvy enough to be playful and wait for her to find him a little bit longer because, you know, that would just be so amusing for the audience to see her almost step on him. You know, like he still is just so clever, yeah. even in these deathly circumstances. Yeah, his charm comes through so much in these chapters. And while I do think that he's naturally charming, I also really recognize, I think, for the first time that, oh, he is also playing this up, not just for Katniss, but for the audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, th I think a lot of it is for the audience because when we saw him, you know, during their training and everything, the few days before they entered the arena, he was conversational and could sometimes make jokes and be sarcastic and things like that, but it didn't feel the same, yeah. you know? And so I think that he's definitely playing it up to a certain degree. And also maybe part of him is just choosing to be less filtered. One, because he is a little bit out of it with his fever and everything, but also it's like, well, I'm going to die. So why hold things back? Yeah. Yeah, the last thing I was kind of thinking about is how Katniss changes the story of Prim getting the goat lady. And how that was kind of making me think about how the Hunger Games themselves could contribute to people in the districts relationally distancing themselves from each other. Because if tributes that aren't as smart as Katniss told stories from home anywhere, whether that's just in the capital in general or in their games, that could endanger them, mm -hmm. you know? And so having interactions with other people having anything with anyone who is young enough to be reaped that could endanger their whole family their friends their everything so i was thinking about that as another another factor in the control that the games give the capital yeah that's so true we, we already know that so many people in District 12 trade with Katniss and Gale just because of the, the game they bring, regardless of the fact that it's illegal. But yeah, there's this added extra dimension of danger of if either of them does go into the games, what does that mean for your participation in their illegal activities that are now being broadcast to the entire country? Exactly, yeah. Because she's like, well, I need to change the details of this story, even though it's obvious that yeah. I know how to hunt, but I'm not going to publicly condemn any of us. Exactly. Well, should we move into our next section from another point of view? Mm -hmm. This is where we look at a different character's point of view other than Katniss's. Yeah, I was wondering how Thresh and Foxface and their supporters would have reacted to the rule change. Oh, totally. I was thinking about that a bit too, yeah. Because obviously for Katniss and Peeta, this is really exciting. But if you were someone who is one of the only two people who don't have a ally you could win alongside anymore, then this could really be seen as an unfair disadvantage. Yeah, the, the only people who can benefit from it are people from District 2 and people from District 12. So it just feels like you're stacking 
the odds in the favor of the people who are already doing better. I mm-hmm. mean, Peter wasn't at that point, but they didn't know that. Yeah. Thresh and Foxface. So, yeah, just it would make you just, especially for Foxface, who is smaller than Katniss, apparently, it would just make you feel hopeless. Yeah. Also, the districts back home who maybe they're friends or family, but maybe they just also are excited about the prospect of having the food and gifts that Mm -hmm. are brought when your tribute becomes a victor. Now it's even more insurmountable to get to that point, and in a way that is completely based off the whims of the capital. Mm -hmm. Because it's not like it's people in the districts who are just so caught up in this romantic (laughs) story. I'm guessing most I'm of them... I'm sure there were a few. Yeah. <laughs> but most of them are, are going to be much more concerned with whether the people they know will survive or whether their districts will be granted some relief from the poverty placed upon them. And yeah, just another example of, of how the capital's whims and their their overarching control and the superficiality of their use of it, I think, would be just so heartbreaking and, and frustrating and infuriating for those in the districts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about how Thresh would feel specifically, just the guilt and sorrow he probably feels at hearing that announcement, because if it had just come a day or two earlier, mm. you know, he could have gone and found Rue and protected her. Yeah. Was he avoiding her because he didn't want to create an alliance with someone who he would either have to kill or die for one of them to be successful? Exactly, especially since both of them are able to feed themselves, whereas a lot of the other tributes can't. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I understand why he made that decision to begin with, but then hearing this changed information just... Yeah, I I would feel guilty and sad, but also so angry. Like, why didn't they announce this sooner? Why Mm -hmm. didn't they announce that when more of us had our fellow tribute from our district alive, you know? Yeah. (sighs) It's a rule change, and Katniss laughs like, rules. (laughs) (laughs) The other perspective I had was actually that of the producers for the games. Hmm. I can imagine that some of them got really excited when Katniss started talking about her mother working as a healer because that gave them an opportunity to then go and interview the mother and, you know, ask questions about this and then have it be something that's directly related to what's happening on screen, which I can Mm. just imagine they would see as good television, essentially. Katniss is getting free advertising for her mom's healing business. Yeah. Smart Katniss. Smart. (laughs) But what perspectives did you think about? Yeah, besides um, the other tributes, I was also thinking about Katniss when when she heard of that rule change, thinking that like for two tributes to have a shot at winning, our quote romance must have been so popular with the audience that condemning it would jeopardize the success of the games. And just thinking about fandoms people who are fans of things just being really intense about the things that they're fans of you know and so kind of imagining capital people being intense and doing all of the different things that they could whether it's 
making petitions to the game maker <laughs> that they're emailing around or doing fan art that they're posting everywhere or kickstarters <laughs> you know how much like people back with money yeah. for certain yeah. things pooling their resources to like get the lovers a rose or you know something they wouldn't even need in the mm -hmm. games but like they'd be excited <laughs> about uh and cosplaying as them are people making sweatshirts that have star-crossed lovers on it, you know, and just, like, trying to make their love of this couple, like, so prominent in so many different spheres so that the game makers feel the need to do this, you know? Mm -hmm. I wonder if it's kind of one of the first times that's ever happened where the Capital viewers have pushed the game maker's hand mm. in a way that they're just they're not gonna take it if they have to see them kill each other you know they're just already so upset about the prospect yeah just kind of humanizing some of the capital people in that way because even though the capital people are terrible yes but again as we've talked about many a time we in the United States are the capital people, right? So, like, all of the things we love, like, we're, we're kind of doing that. Even though I'm not talented enough to do any of that fan art or, you know, those sorts of things. Um, just, like, that kind of participatory fandom. Or, like, hosting a podcast yeah. about them. Yeah. Oh, they would definitely have podcasts <laughs> going on about, about these games. And so, yeah, kind of in a different way relating to some of the capital people than than I have hmm. before. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I had actually thought about this as one of my touch points because mm. of that idea of fandom being so crucial to the producers of entertainment's judgments on whether something's successful. Mm -hmm. um, and For better or worse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And how in our society, oftentimes that means that they play it safe. They hire a blonde white actor to play Katniss, for <laughs> yeah. example. So, yeah, I, I think that it is an interesting way of looking at the games and how the games exist as a participatory piece of entertainment within Pan Am. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fascinating. Well, and that's one of the interesting things, too, of, that the, the author of the book I was mentioning a lot in the past couple episodes, Ebony Elizabeth Thomas, was not in the Hunger Games chapter as much, but in, in setting up her analysis of different fandoms and series, like looking at that participatory part that is newer on the scene. And, and because of the internet ways that fans are able to engage with each other and have fan fiction and, and headcanons and fan art and, and do things to make it their own so much more than has been done in the past mm -hmm. and in that way not entirely because obviously there's still capitalism and all of that but like it still in some ways decentralizes the power of just the professionals who are making these things you know yeah which i think we do see here with, mm -hmm. with what the capital people want and then the decision that the game makers make yeah but yeah, why don't we um, talk about any of the other touch points you have? So these are things that we see happening in the story here that have some parallels to things happening in our own world. Yeah, I was thinking a lot about relative 
wealth and privilege mm. in this chapter. What, um, the Hunger Games has elements of that <laughs> thing? It certainly does. Mm. Uh, one, I think, that was just was so blatant about it was the idea of the feast. How the definition of what constitutes a feast would be so different based off of what is a typical meal or what you normally have access to. So Katniss, she hears that there's a feast that she thinks is just going to be food, and she's like, whatever. Mm-hmm. But once it's found out that there is something that each of them needs there, then it becomes something that is more special, that is more of a requirement for them to attend. So that was already kind of on my mind. And then after Thresh lets her go, and she has a line about how First District 11 broke the rules, and now Thresh broke the rules for her, it made me think about what generosity means in mm. and, and how generosity itself is something that I think often is looked at as if there's an objective kind of generosity rather than generosity itself being relative. Mm. When we think about the most charitable people in the world, we usually about think about people like the Gateses or mm-hmm. these other billionaires. Because sure, they're giving away millions of dollars, maybe even hundreds of millions of dollars, or, or maybe even a billion dollars. But if you are a multi-billionaire, that is so little yeah. of your own wealth and that you are still hoarding so much other wealth that that generosity i think is a sham that it it is it's not generosity it's for your public image Mm -hmm. it's for tax breaks it's to make yourself feel better Mm -hmm. rather than giving something that costs you something yeah exactly and so when i think about the gifts that katniss got how she even gets the sleep syrup or the burn medicine, how all those almost certainly came from capital sponsors. And those sponsors probably thought of themselves as generous, (laughs) as doing this because they believe in her and they want her to win and all these other kinds of elements. But the District 11 gift was true giving because true giving is not about giving a specific quantity, but it's about giving from what you have. If you're only giving outside the bo- the bounds of what you are still comfortable in and privileged in, that's not really generosity. But if you are giving and you are really going to suffer in a way because of that gift, I think that's that's true and powerful generosity. And why First District 11 and then Thresh's decisions are truly generous, are truly giving and truly powerful because Thresh also is allowing someone who is a true threat to him to survive here in a circumstance that he doesn't have to do that. Mm -hmm. And he chooses to do so for him because he feels like it makes him even with Katniss, but there is no objective. He wasn't indebted to her. Exactly. Yeah, he just felt it. Yeah, and so he makes that choice. And, And I just, I think that that is one of those most important choices because of what it costs and for Katniss to recognize that this kind of generosity is actually against the rules Mm -hmm. that the system and our system as well is not set up in a way that expects that type of generosity our economic system is based off of the exploitation of the many for the benefit of the few Mm -hmm. and for anyone to do anything other than that is breaking the rules in a way 
those don't have to be legal rules where there's legal repercussions about them, but it is breaking these social rules, these social expectations. And yeah, it just, it was something that was kind of moving to me when reading this about what kind of lesson you could take from reading a book series like this. That's not just about resisting these systems of oppression, but it's about the, the decisions that you make that break the rules and how generosity in of itself breaks those oppressive rules of society. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting because when I was thinking about the feast, <laughs> as per usual, was thinking of a more pessimistic <laughs> look at things. Gasp. I know, right? Of the fact that a feast is an overabundance of something. Mm. And so it's the constant thing that the capital is doing, acting like they're doing something benevolent when they're being atrocious. Even if it was food, for some of them, that would be absolutely necessary. Mm -hmm. And, And I think probably for Foxface, it probably was a lot of food, you know? Yeah. And so to to put it in the language of feast and for it to just be necessities, I think is just a bit of a slap in the face like they often do, you know? Yeah, that's a really good point. So thinking about it not being a feast for the tributes, it's a feast for the audience. Yeah. They want to watch more bloodshed. It's a feast for their eyes. It's it's an, an entertainment feast after oh, the tributes have been spread out for a while. It's a way for them to come back together and then the viewers to get excited about it. Yeah. Also looking at a quote that Katniss said that feasts always result in fatalities. I was thinking about that definitely applied in our world. Mm. Anytime we are doing things with abundance, there's always somebody dying because of that, you know? Yeah. Um, whether that is food with feasts or any other area of luxury excess that many countries and basically all countries, at least some people in those countries, but particularly the United States on the global stage, uh, just I need to have so this four-wheel drive Hummer monstrous car yeah. because I think it's cool or whatever. I want this diamond necklace Mm -hmm. who cares that it's a blood diamond or i want this type of ingredient or i want more clothes and people are in sweatshops making these or i want to trade in and get a new car every two years like things like that that i'm just wait what people do that (laughs) yes a lot of people do this you know and it's like whenever you have these feasts whenever you have these excesses it always results in fatalities so that quote definitely struck me another thing i was thinking about for this section was (laughs) first i was imagining kato and clove trying to feed themselves and i was just kind of chuckling to myself (laughs) about it and then i realized that i would look so much more ridiculous than they do trying to feed myself because like at least clove knows how to throw knives Mm. and i don't know how to do anything kato's probably spearing some fish or something (laughs) exactly so then i was like oof (laughs) i'm even more capital than them Mm -hmm. and then the last thing i was kind of thinking about 
was prim in in the story that Katniss tells and how I've never really related to prim but I was kind of realizing in in this past read-through ways in which maybe I should try to read her in a way of relating to her more um, particularly because she seems mixed race but is white passing Mm -hmm. which is the same as me and so how I go about my life and how I'm treated by other people would be more similar to how Prim is in District 12 than Katniss. Also thinking about her loving animals. I mean, that's part of this story that she's telling. And when I was a kid, I wanted to be a vet until I learned that you had to sometimes euthanize them. I loved animals so much. And so her being like so happy uh, about getting Lady and uh, wanting to keep Buttercup and all of these things. Like, and there's nowhere I would have hunted animals when I was a young kid. I mean, I wouldn't now either. But yeah, just realizing that um, that she slept in front of the fire with Lady that mm-hmm. first night. And I would go outside when it was raining and hold an umbrella over my cat and I'd be like freezing and shivering just because like I loved him so much and didn't want him to be out in the rain by himself so yeah I was just kind of for the first time thinking about relating to her more and trying to yeah keep that in mind as I read on and and notice more ways that maybe I mean it's not touch point to our society but touch point to my life in ways that I had some similar tendencies as her before I got more jaded like Katniss. <laughs> That's so funny because I was thinking at the moment when Lady licked Prim, mm. how you got our cat Luna. Oh yeah, I know, right? So cute. So, story time. Story time. It was Christmas time a little over six years ago. And I went over to a friend's house. And when I was sitting on the couch, he had recently gotten this stray cat. And she just very quickly came up to me, jumped up on the couch, and then curled up in my lap for hours. And I was like, okay, I love this cat. And then I was, you know, I was petting her and talking to her periodically. And one of the times I did, she looked up at me, put her paw on my face. And then reached up and licked my cheek. And then I was like, I need to steal this cat and make this cat a permanent resident of my home. And eventually I did do that. (laughs) (laughs) Few months later, the cat was mine. Yes, yes. So yeah, I guess maybe there's there's more connection between you and Prim than uh, than you initially thought. Which makes Luna our lady. Oh, no. We'll keep her Luna. I would not have named the goat lady. Just saying. Yes. <laughs> but why don't we move into our wonderments? Well, I think the clearest one for this chapter is what was in the other tributes bags. Mm, totally, yeah. We find out at least one mm. coming up, but yeah. But another one that hit me when, when I was reading where it, the end of one of the chapters after... Peta is given the sleep syrup. Katniss says, what do you mean I can't lie? Mm-hmm. 
and mentions that even though he can't hear her, Panem can. And I just, I, I'm wondering why Katniss wanted Panem to hear that line specifically. Um, was it to make herself seem more savvy? I, I just, I don't know kind of what was going through her head. You know, so many of these chapters end with either a powerful line or a cliffhanger or like intense motivator for you to keep reading. And this one I felt like was maybe kind of trying to do something similar, but I maybe I just didn't get what it was doing mm. in that moment. Yeah, my thought on that was kind of the, partially because she's being funny, you know, mm-hmm. she's being snarky to him, which I imagine the capital would like. At the same time, Katniss never wants to seem like she has any type of weakness. Mm. And so not being able to lie could be seen as not an ideal thing. And so, haha, see, I could. Okay, yeah, makes sense. That, that was my thought, but yeah, it's it's not explained. Yeah. And then the last, the last thing that was on my mind was just, was there any moment where Hamish actually kind of explained how he would be sending messages along with his gifts? Or is it something that just shows how in sync him and Katniss are? Because when she gets the broth, she says that the message is crystal clear. If I was in her situation, the message would not be crystal clear. (laughs) (laughs) It wouldn't for you, no. I would be like, ooh, broth. That's so nice. (laughs) (laughs) This will make my gross stew a little more tasty. (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) yeah, I, I, I do wonder if there was any part of their training and preparation that actually talked about what the process would be like for them to get gifts and how Hamish would strategize that, or if this is just she actually understands Hamish and Hamish understands her well enough that he knows that she will get the message. Oh, I think that's an interesting thing about Katniss. I think she is pretty good at reading people oftentimes, except when it comes to people liking her Mm -hmm. or thinking well of her, (laughs) then she really misreads that. Or being generous. Like mm. PETA, I think that's one of the ways that she's always like, what's he getting out of this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But when she was in her interviews and looked over to Cinna sitting in the audience and he did like a tiny motion with his hand and she was like, oh, he wants me to spin. Mm. So I think that she actually is quite good at piecing things together when she doesn't have all the information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. But what were you wondering about? So something that I was thinking about this time, and it made me wonder and, and maybe have a little more empathy for Peta's mother, actually, because Peta grabs her hand, Katniss's hand, and kisses it, right? And she was thinking, I wonder where he picked that up. Surely not from his father and the witch, which is what she calls yeah. his mother, which I'm like, <laughs> mm, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Obviously, she's abusive, Mm -hmm. so bad, but I also was kind of wondering what made her so bitter, Mm. what made her so angry, and I wonder if maybe she never wanted this life that she has. Maybe she had to marry this person, otherwise she wouldn't have had any real prospects of livelihood. Maybe she never wanted to birth any children Mm. that then could be reaped. And then 
lo and behold, look what happened. One of her kids is, you know, and so it kind of made me think about her just like putting walls up because she doesn't want to be hurt by this system and her putting walls up because she's angry about this life that she has to live that she doesn't want. Yeah. And that's not an excuse for abuse or anything like that. Definitely not. But yeah, it was just something I was kind of wondering about what went on in her life since we know so little about it, that this is how their family dynamics are. Well, we also don't really know Peta's relationship with her outside of the glimpses that Katniss has seen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I, you know, that's making me wonder what it's like for him. You know, she, she obviously said something quite rude to him when he was reaped, but I wonder how he feels about his, his family and his mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, versus, you know, what she actually feels. Maybe yeah. she says this because she wants to not care, but does mm. she really 100% not care? I mean, there are some people out there who would be like that, but... We don't know. We just have tiny little glimpses and Katniss's perspective on the matter. Yeah. So yeah, I was just, I was, I was wondering about her a bit. Hmm. Well, why don't we move into our intentions? What are you taking away with you? Yeah, I think my intention is just to, to be more giving, to be more generous, to not just think that I've given enough, but to be more intentional about recognizing when I can be generous, even if it costs something that is more than just my time or energy, but that, that impacts my life in a, in a more profound way and in what ways I can, I can best do that for either people in my local community or, or you know, people I actually have relationships with or others outside of that. So, yeah, I think I, I've really been inspired by these chapters to, to try to make that more of a priority. Not to say that giving of your time or energy isn't generous. Of course. Yeah, but yeah, that's nice. What about you? What's your intention? To give me more kisses? <laughs> no, that, that wasn't my intention. That wasn't what I was coming away with. Gasp. <laughs> Reward you for your generosity. <laughs> and I also love that Katniss had to coax and also threaten before she resorted to kissing as a reward for him eating that's true that's true (laughs) which is funny because i i read that and i was like someone giving me food and then rewarding me with kisses that sounds like heaven yeah but not when you're like dying yeah i mean blood poisoning obviously it was just a funny joke yeah i probably would not have blood poisoning in heaven probably not probably wouldn't have blood I say probably. Maybe I would. I don't know. I don't know how heaven, heaven works. You're assuming that you're even going to heaven. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> hmm. So something that I was noticing too was how when different people die, at least thus far in, in this first book, that there's often this moment where the name or even the boy from District 1 isn't used. Mm. So with Clove, you know, it's using her name, it's using her name, and then later it says the dying girl a few feet away. And I was just kind of thinking of that humanizing where it's it's stripping away all of these things that we don't like about them, and it's just being like, there is a human dying here, 
and it affects us. Mm. So I kind of want to, as I go on to read other things, anytime a character dies, try to take a moment, you know, even if they're the villain that's done terrible things or, or someone that you don't even care about, try to take a moment and think about, yeah, the, that person dying a few feet away, like as, as a person, not just, oh, that part of the plot's wrapped up and move on, you know? Yeah. It's going to take us a while to get through the next watch through the Battle of Helm's Deep. <laughs> No, I, I said books because TV, they don't really leave you that space to do it. I'm not going to pause every time because <laughs> that, that's also kind of ruining the art form to some it's degree true. potentially. But I think with, with books, it is it's something definitely I could apply. That's great. Well, I think that's going to wrap up this discussion. So what's happening next time on The Hunger Games? We're going to be reading chapters 22, 23, and 24, where... The Starcross Lovers tease Effie. Okay, well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find links to our website and our social media in the episode description. And you can join us at patreon.com if you want to become a supporter of the podcast, helping us to keep the show going and getting you access to all sorts of extra content. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pestel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find our designs at lacelet.com or search for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek, geek out! out.